Welcome. You have entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simron. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Empower yourself, broaden your mind, open your heart, and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simron. Welcome. It is wonderful to be here with you. We are in the midst of Mercury retrograde, and this means it is time to reflect, to sit back and to look at life, to look at the past year and what you feel about it, how you feel you've grown, the goals that perhaps you made that were accomplished or not accomplished, and where you desire to be as you move forward into 2024. So often that has us thinking about success and what that means to us. We look at life in terms of, did I make it or did I not? Did I succeed or did I fail? We oftentimes, especially at this time of the year, get even busier and more stressed. And life becomes this end destination, this point that we have to reach. And why is that? So often we don't realize that every step of our lives is often lived through the lenses of those that came before us, through the conditioning that was brought into us, oftentimes very deep and unconscious. Very often, almost uh, in the cellular visceral level, that we don't even become conscious of these patterns and behaviors, these needs and these drives, these impulses and inspirations that are guided by something else. But there comes a time in every person's life where they start to wonder, is this really all there is? Am I spinning my wheels? Am I a hamster that just keeps running? Have I gotten everything that I wanted and I still haven't quite gotten where I wanted? So often, the journey of life is about getting comfortable in our skin, but it doesn't go just to the skin, it goes to the soul. Can you get comfortable with your soul? Today's conversation is going to be an interesting one because I have Peter Matisse and he says that our present model for success is broken. He says we know it's broken because even when we get ahead in life, make a lot of money, and reach a good position, the majority of us are still left with a deep-seated feeling that something important is missing. When we put our head on the pillow at night, we might think there's got to be more to life. Now juggling the daily pressures and expectations, more and more people are stressed out, missing fulfillment, and wondering if there's an alternative, a better way to work and a better way to succeed in life. He also says that with more than 40% of all illnesses related to the workplace stress, this problem causes suffering for millions of people. But this becomes the background noise of questioning and longing that doesn't just cause our pain in our personal lives, it undermines the effectiveness and goals of every organization. And the conversation today we're having, it's personal, it's collective, it's organizational, it's about your business, your success, and ultimately, your fulfillment. Peter Matisse is a leader of the global conscious business movement. A former venture capitalist and software entrepreneur, he established the Conscious Business Institute in 2005 and has pioneered the most widely adopted system for building more human-centric organizations. Conscious Business Institute's approach have reached over 60,000 professionals across 172 countries. In organizations such as BMW, 
Starbucks, Intel, and many others. Peter is a fellow of the World Business Academy and a member of the Evolutionary Leaders Council. Welcome, Peter, to 1111 Talk Radio. It is an honor to have you here. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here. So looking forward to it. I think that being a recovering workaholic for many, many years and also from a cultural aspect of needing to strive to certain points, what you write applies not only to me, but to all cultures, particularly the Western culture. We are kind of put on this trajectory where it does become about accumulation and it becomes about the outer, but we tend to bypass the inner as we move on that path. And it becomes so natural to be unnatural that it requires often that turning point in life to make a stop. And for many people, that was that period of COVID, which had them kind of sit down and question and wonder and pull back. And many people moved, many people left their companies, many people rethought their way of life. But one thing that you bring about in the beginning of the book is that so often we can shift our geography, we can shift our company, we can shift a lot of things, but sometimes we're just doing the same thing in a different way or a different place. Talk a little bit about that paradigm first. Yeah, well, you're putting a big thing on the plate. That's fantastic to start with. So maybe I use my own example. I was always very successful as a venture capitalist. I had my own software company. I was doing really well on the outside, but when I got home at night, I knew that something was missing. And as you say, when I put my hello on, fit on, hello, <laughs> head on the pillow at night, that's how it goes. There was always this, this um, I call it the unreachable itch, which was, I, which was constantly there. There was something missing. And I was asking myself the question, isn't there a better way to work and live? And the more I asked that, the more people responded with the same question, say, yes, I feel exactly the same way. And now I've asked this question to thousands of people in, in five continents, and I hear it so many times. So what we're really in is a silent crisis that does make the news, but it doesn't make the headlines. This quiet quitting that, that we read about, or I just read a New York Times article that the, that the disengagement in organizations is skyrocketing again. And people are saying, what's going on? We've been trying to improve the engagement in organizations for, for 20 years now, whether it's with uh, free gym memberships or with Greek yogurt or with employee engagement uh, um, things that we do. But the needle has barely moved. So there's something fundamentally flawed in the way we set up our organizations and in the way we pursue success on an individual level. That's not designed to make us happy. And that's something I want to repeat. Our model of success is not designed to make us happy. It's actually the reason for most of our suffering. You, you said some important things that had the word collapse come into my mind. And if we look at a lot of the systems and structures in our world right now, they do appear to be collapsing. But those systems and structures are composed of people as well. And when we get into that deadened state, that numb state, so often people think they're moving into a place of surrender where they're just allowing what is and surrendering to it. But too many times it's actually collapse. It's a collapse of the spirit, of the heart, even a mm -hmm. collapse of the mind and the inspiration. 
Is this what you're talking about in terms of some of the disease and illness that is infiltrating many workplaces right now? Yeah, I see it as an actually a very natural process. This disease or disease is really a disease of what's going on in the world. And so we've set up all these structures, whether it's governments, whether it's organizations, whether it's our educational system, our food system, everything that we see in our world, it's designed for a certain way to work and live. And it's we, as we move on an evolutionary trajectory, and we can speak about that a little bit more, what that actually means, um, more people are saying this just doesn't doesn't work for me anymore, and so there there's this increased feeling of dis-ease, which comes through frustration, which comes through stress, which comes through uh, worry, which comes through depression. All of these things that we see happening in our culture, and so as we know um, from the birth of the butterfly, something needs to die before something new can needs uh, can can be reborn. And so what actually happens in our world is not a change, it's a true transformation where something needs to die. And this is what we see happening in the government, in, the, uh, in, in so many countries now in the political arena, is that some people pull to the right and want to keep the old system alive. And a lot of other people say, no, 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 this doesn't work anymore. We need to break through to a new system. Um, and again, this is something that is a consciousness shift. It's not something that we do differently. It requires a consciousness shift. And with that, the death of the old thinking. Now, in your book, you say that the United Nations declared workplace stress as a global epidemic, that our workplaces are literally killing people. And we keep just doing business as usual. And that is based on a model of success that's been deeply ingrained in our thinking that follows a very simple formula. Could you first talk about what the model of success is that we are currently uh, hypnotized by and living either consciously or unconsciously with? Yeah, a bit happy to. Um, by the way, for individuals who would like to, that's a bit pretty bold statement that workplaces are killing us. But if you read um, Jeffrey Pfeffer's dying, dying for a Paycheck, he's a Stanford Organizational Development Professor, you'll understand why that's actually a very, very true statement that people are actually dying from the way we work today. Uh, but to our success model, what I realized when I when I quit the business world and said, I need to explore this on a little deeper level, I need to turn my life into an experiment, basically. What I found out is that we're all pursuing a model, um, or most of us are pursuing a model that's been ingrained in our culture for, for many, many centuries. And it's basically um, tells us that we have to do more, we have to accumulate more stuff, titles, whatever it might be, so eventually we become somebody. So from the time we're a child, our parents have to tell us, you have to do this, and then you accumulate maybe maybe pats on the shoulder or something, and then you, then you become a good child. And then we go into school, and the same happens in school when our teachers tell us, you have to work harder, you have to do more, uh, you have to accumulate a good grade in your school, and then you become an honor student, and you put a sticker on our car. Uh, and the same goes on in college. We accumulate a degree, so we become a doctor. And then we're in the business world. We have to do more. We have to accumulate more money, houses, votes, maybe whatever it might be. So we become a respected person or become a CEO. And so we, we're in this wheel of doing more, doing more, doing more, not realizing that this model of success, first of all, requires of us to do more all the time. 
Secondly, it requires us to accumulate more all the time, which is clearly not working for 7 billion people um, accumulating more, more stuff all the time. And the third thing, it, it doesn't even consider what we are really looking for in life, which is the feeling states we would like to in, in, in experience. So, for example, joy, peace of mind, ease, abundance, adventure, creativity. This do accumulate, become model doesn't even consider these feeling states. And so basically we are chasing a carrot thinking that we'll get somewhere, uh, but we're kind of missing the target all of the time. And that's why most people are looking for something else and looking for alternative ways, but we're still using the model that can't get us there. There were several places within the book that really resonated with me. Um, and, and you place them in a business sense, whereas in my own work, in my own books, it's very much in a personal sense. And, and, and they're very related. But one of the things that really struck out is the model that we live by, which is dominance and subservience. And the reason this struck out to me so much is we were introduced by a mutual friend who has spoken of your brilliance and your brilliant work for years, but we've never actually met. And her work is the Gene Keys. And my primary Gene Key, uh, the Shadows, and which has been quite predominant in my life for many, many years, uh, from early on to about midlife, was dominance and subservience. So to read that both in my personal gene keys and then to look at it in terms of a business model and how we come to our work, come to business with that underlying cloud of shadow was really, really interesting. Can you explain how the model of dominance and subservience is active within us and in our workplaces? Yeah, this, that's such an important topic. Thank you for bringing that up. So uh, basically, when I looked at um, I'll, I'll, something in before, so, so we get a little more context. Um, when I looked at how do we actually grow as human individuals, how do we grow our consciousness? How do we grow the consciousness of an organization so that we can express more, um, more of what, what we want in life, basically? There are basically two things that are necessary, I found. The first one is that we need to change our consciousness to a higher perspective, so to consider that we are part of something bigger. The oneness uh, thought, for example. So that's the spiritual growth which which gets us there. The other thing is uh, the underbelly of stuff. This is the model of dominance subservience is to the growing up part, as Ken Wilber, the, the philosopher, calls it, to recognize when we operate from fear, from our scarcity mindset. And this is what really what the dominant and subservience model plays by. If we don't become aware of that, and we see that in a lot of spiritual seekers that are just follow your bliss, follow your bliss, and they're still broke, is that there, there is this pullback from this model of dominant subservience that requires us to look at why are we operating what I call out of power, meaning from fear, from the lack of from scarcity mindset. So what is this model of dominant subservience? Um, this is a model that we've been carrying around in our culture for 8,000 years. It was established when we moved from a, from a, to the agrarian society, when suddenly the accumulation of goods became important. Uh, so before that, which is really curious, as hunter-gatherers, if you had a Prada bag, it was really worthless because you had to carry more stuff to the next camp. Um, so it was really um, to have as little goods as possible, so there was nothing to dominate. It was just really 
to live uh, in, synchron in synchronicity with the earth. And even as a dropout, even as an, if you get, get high on fermented fruits, for example, Mother Earth would still take care of you because you were able to feed yourself, to live off Mother Earth, and you would be okay. So there was the sense of abundance. And if you look at um, anthropologists that are interviewing the last kind of tribal people on our planet, when they didn't store their food, an anthropologist asked them, why don't you store your food? They just laughed at them and said, well, there's, there's plenty out there. Why would we? So imagine that you are being brought up in a sense of complete abundance, that you're okay, that you have enough food, that you have shelter, that Mother Earth is taking care of you, that there's really nothing that you need. That brings an enormous amount of liberation and suddenly the fear and the worry stops. Maybe you get attacked by a saber-toothed tiger, but that's another story here. So that all changed in the agrarian society when suddenly there were landlords which are owning land and we had to work for these landlords. So some people dominated the scarce resource, which is land in this case, or food or shelter, or protection. And we as the normal people had to become subservient to the landlords. That, that was the beginning of this model of dominant subservience and how it really took hold in our society. But fast forward to today, the same model still plays out. There are a few people who have an abundance of what we consider a scarce resource, which might be love, which might be money, for example, or which might be safety. So take money, for example, for a lot of people. It's considered a scarce resource for many. So those people who have a lot of money uh, can really dominate everybody because they can do whatever they want. They dominate the jobs. They say, I give you the job or I don't give you the job if they're a CEO. And as, as the other person, we think if we need the money, we might need to become subservient to that person so they give us the money. Yeah, so it's a little complicated, but um, basically what plays out in our culture is that we are currently on this teeter-totter. If there's nothing, not enough, not, not enough respect from our partner, not enough love from our parents, for example, not enough money from in, in our world to live by, we think, oh, we have to become dominant or subservient so we get this resource. And with that, we are not in our authentic power anymore. We are trying, and this is important, we are trying to manipulate the situation around us because we think we need to get the abundant resource, money in this case, for example. And with that, we are not present anymore. And whenever we are in this model of dominant subservience, we create stress for ourselves or for the people around us. So uh, whenever we operate from this model, there's a grind, there's this doing, there's a have to do more. And so there's no coincidence that we are all burnt out, that we're all going, give me a break here. I need to just be for a little bit so I can relax and I can get in the flow of life. Because this model of dominant subservience is a constant grind on our energy. That was beautifully explained, Peter. And it illustrates how we kind of fall into that in the external world. And as I was reading your book, I became aware that although that shows itself in the external world, all of a sudden, we too adopt that. We become dominant over ourselves. We become subservient to those fears you talk about, uh, to those ideas of time and money that we make up that we can't have and have to run after. In the book, you talk about the three fundamental fears, and you slightly mention them. I'd love you to, to mention them more clearly so that the listeners can understand what the underlying fears might be that could be driving them 
to work harder, to abandon what their heart or soul truly desires, to uh, let go of what their authentic voice was wanting to be and falling into this uh, collective way of being where we homogenize with the rest of the world in this kind of subservient, dominated experience of work and then filtering it into our personal lives as well. What are the three fundamental fears? Yeah, yeah. We can even do a little exercise around it for people to feel that. It might be very worthwhile to do that. But the, if, if we look at our tribal times, there are really three things that we were afraid of, which is the loss of love. So our tribe rejects us. We're being kicked out of from the tribe. So it's rejection, basically. Um, the second one is that we are not powerful enough to defend ourselves. So if, if, you know, if we have to fend for ourselves, we're not powerful enough to do that, get enough food for ourselves, etc. And the third one is the fear of safety. If the cyber-toothed tiger indeed comes along and we are not safe, yeah, and the tribe doesn't, there isn't there to protect us, for example. So power, um, love, rejection, and, and safety are the three fundamental things that we need in our life to be okay. So if we don't have them, out of those come the three fundamental fears. The fear of rejection, that we're not loved, fear of not being powerful enough, and the fear of not being safe. safe. And each one of us uh, has one of these, what I call existential decisions about life, these existential fears. My personal one is I'm rejected. I'm not, I'm not good enough. I'm going to be rejected. So every single frustration, every single moment of stress, when I freak out in traffic, when I, I, I don't like traffic jams. So when I, when I get aggravated from traffic jams, I can, with a few questions, lead back to this existential fear of I'm going to be rejected. Sounds hokey, but it works. Yeah, so why why is that important? Because we deal with so many things around us. I don't have enough money, the stupid idiot is cut, cutting me off in traffic, my boss, my siblings, all those kind of things that we're dealing with. But ultimately, all the issues, all the things that we grapple with come back to this one single thing. For me, I'm rejected. I'm not good enough, I'm rejected. That's something I can deal with. The 50 other things, oh my God, I don't know where to start. But whenever I feel a negative emotion and I can ask myself, well, what's not enough here? Um, I'm going to be rejected. And then I live in that reality. I can work with that. So if you don't mind, let's, let's do a quick little, um, example so people can follow along with that. I would, that okay? I, would I think that is fantastic. And I want to remind everyone that those fears come from a deep seated scarcity and lack mm. thinking, according to your book. So please yes. go ahead with the exercise. Yeah, and, and it's not a big deal. We all have those fears. Every every single human being has those fears, and we're in the classroom to overcoming those fears. So <laughs> let's do it. So I would just uh, ask you to imagine a situation or bring, bring, to, bring to life a situation that you had where you feel frustrated or where you were in a conflict with someone. Um, if you have problems, dig a little deeper, but where you felt aggravated by something, worried about money, for example. And in that situation, I ask, is, ask yourself what was missing in that situation. It might have been money. It might have been appreciation from the other person. It might have been understanding. It might have been a sense of flow. There was something missing there that you wanted to have to make it okay. Yeah. And if that's not there, let's go a level deeper now. 
um, there's a fear associated with that, that if you don't have that, if you don't get the understanding of that person, or if you don't have that money, something will happen. So there's a fear that leads you to this existential decision. But it comes from the scarcity mindset, there's not enough in this moment, I need something. Understanding money. Can you feel that? So I would like you to shift your mind and imagine that whatever that is, whether it's understanding or money, is there plentiful. And all of these things are in the world plentiful. There's enough understanding, there are enough people who love you, there are enough people, there's enough money. It's the question, how do we access it? There's an abundance of everything in this world. And I would just ask you to imagine that abundance around you. And that really nothing you need to do. You can just be feeling what you're feeling and know there's an abundance. And as you imagine that, as you, this becomes your reality, not sure how to access it yet, but it's there. You can feel that your system starts relaxing. There's a sense of peace maybe that comes into your system. Can you sense that? And so from a before, you might say, oh, what did I need to do differently to get the money, to get the appreciation? I need to have this argument. I need to make my point, all those kind of things. We always revert to doing now in this other state, you might be just able to be and to just feel, to just be present. And although we don't have enough time here, maybe you can sense that it's a profound difference, although subtle, it's a profound difference in your own energy of how you perceive the world, of how you're able to engage in the world. That's a beautiful, beautiful exercise, Peter, and I really appreciate you taking my audience through that. Our journey to authentic success is not to do something different, but to become intimately familiar with our unique talent, to become clear who we're here to be, our contribution to the world, and the value it brings to others. The deeper this clarity grows, the more you'll become confident to walk your own path, and the easier it will be to handle pushback, resistance, and adversity. You won't do your gifts and talents anymore. You will become your gifts and talents. This is from Peter Matisse's book, Plan B. Ultimately, our job is to embody and fully integrate who we're here to be and to be of service to others from that place of being. As we contribute to the world from that place, we become centered in our authenticity and grow in our, our inner authority. We're not doing from a place where we need to push things forward. We're being pulled into taking action. Not because we have to, but because we want to. This book, Plan B, provides a new success model for you individually and for your organization. It provides a new framework, a new operating system for personal and business success. However, this is not a how-to book. This book reveals the fundamental dynamics and perceptions, the invisible forces that shape our lives. It provides insight into the hidden patterns of our decisions and conditioning, creating a consciousness change that will have a ripple effect into every part of your life, your personal relationships, your career, your business, and your physical health and well-being. Once again, this is Plan B, a professional's guide to authentic success. You can find out more and get that at planb.live or you can go to consciousbusinessinstitute.com which is Peter Matisse's 
uh, global conscious business movement. And when you're there, join their global community. You'll also uh, access the Conscious Business Institute online learning program. There's a Conscious Business Master Program. And you can bring Plan B principles to your organization as well. Once again, the book is Plan B, A Professional's Guide to Authentic Success. The websites are planb.live and consciousbusinessinstitute.com. We'll be right back with more of Peter Matisse right after these messages. Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Do you want more, more joy, more abundance, more power and presence? How would it feel to have more loving relationships, more empowered community, greater fulfillment and life purpose? The 1111 Mastermind Community inspires, empowers, guides and supports transformation. Shift your mind, expand your heart, deepen insights, let go and chart a new course, dream a new dream. The 1111 Mastermind Community is an online portal for personal transformation and soulful expansion. Go to courses.1111mag.com. That's courses.1111mag.com. Change begins with you. Let it be simple, convenient, and transformative. The time is now. Step through the 1111 gateway. Courses.1111mag.com. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at imsimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. Before we get back to Peter's work, I want to mention that Conversations with the Universe is now on audio. You can go to Audible and get your copy and listen and find out all the different ways that the universe is speaking to you through your work, your pets, your car, your home, the people that show up in your life, even the in the uh, blessings that appear that are not always feeling like blessings, you will discover many ways to look at your world that will clear your lens of all the clouds that have been there. 
In addition, you might want to pick up my Soul Trilogy. It is a set of manuals that will guide you through each and every experience that your life could possibly encounter, because we go through a cycle of seven all of the time. The first book is Living the Seven Blessings of Human Experience, where you encounter the personality, the identity, and the types of things we create through the blessing of living. You're also guided as to how to rise to a higher octave within those experiences that end up being like chaos and challenge and obstacles. The second book is Being, The Seven Illusions That Derail Personal Power, Purpose, and Peace. This book takes you into your underworld. You get to meet all the parts of you that have been hidden, parts of you that you may have started to uncover, like the shadow, but also you go deeper. You begin to get to know the animal, the visceral part of your body. You discover the monster inside that guides and directs some of the big challenges that you have in your life, and you encounter your inner demons. And once you embrace all of those with love, you start to open the door to your light, to your humanity. And the third book is Knowing the Seven Human Expressions of Grace. Before you can fully receive and avail yourself of divine grace, you have to open to your own grace, and that takes you through the tunnel of humanity. We cannot serve the greater humanity unless we're willing to serve our personal humanity first. So definitely pick those up. These are books that are like oracles, so you can have those by your bedside while you read other amazing books like Plan B, a professional guide to a professional's guide to authentic success. I want to correct the website too. It's planbe.live or consciousbusinessinstitute.com. Once again, join Peter's global community, the online learning program, uh, be a part of the Conscious Business Master Program, or bring Plan B principles to your organization. They are sure to inspire. The key to bringing your authentic power and purpose into your workplace is to speak from that place of possibility while connecting to the concrete issues or problems of your organization. When you speak to what's possible versus what's broken, you leave others touched and inspired. You open the door to solving other people's problems using your magic. And we'll find out more about that, which comes from Peter's book, as we dive into this next segment. Before we get into some of those other areas in your book, I want to mention that uh, sometimes when we are in that dominant and subservient place, that doing can look a lot of different ways. You actually mentioned, too, you say we can swallow our anger to try to become peaceful or superior or the good person, or we can lash out and become more powerful or right. And these are both not places of doing, I mean, not places of being, correct? These are places of doing. Yes. And, and again, there's nothing wrong with doing, but to consider from which place we're doing, whether it's from a place of scarcity, thinking of scarcity. And I'll just give Donald Trump as an example without any political preference in mind here. But we can see that he's very good at this dominate, dominance and subservience model, especially the dominating part. Uh, and it's not that we can't get to places with that. He became the president of the United States. So we can become very successful to the outside. But you can clearly see that when we're using this dominance model, and even if we're very good at it, that there's always a fallout, um, pushback, separation, friction, everything that's being caused um, by his governance um, that we can see happening in the world. Yeah, and so we need to be very mindful of the impact that we have on, on, on the world. 
again, nothing wrong with doing, but can we come from a place of doing that doesn't originate in wanting to manipulate the outside circumstances, but in, um, in contribution, again, what, I, what you read earlier, to being pulled into contributing something. So as we start to shift into this place where we begin to realize, okay, much of what I'm doing has been this conditioning. I've fallen into this dominance and subservience, and I want to shift now and truly become more authentic. From my own experience, uh, life can sometimes break apart, or people can move out of our life, or things can no longer feel good, and stuff needs to shift. So talk a little bit about this transition phase as we move from dominant subservience and doing to a more authentic way of being that is fulfilling. Yeah, that's that's a good juicy conversation to have because authenticity, it's the Merriam-Webster uh, word of the year 2023 is authenticity. So everybody speaks about authenticity, but my experience is that there are very few understand or are actually authentic in the world. Um, that's very different to when I'm in audience and when I speak to people and I ask them, do you think you're authentic? Everybody nods. I'm nodding when, when I'm being asked. But can we consider that you would have probably nodded at the, at the age of 20 at the same question? Um, but now since I'm, I'm, I'm a little older, I'm in my 50s. So looking back at the age of 20, I had no idea what my authenticity was. So can we consider that authenticity is not a place to get to, but something that we discover over time, that we peel away like layers of an onion? So maybe that's the first thing to speak about authenticity. The second thing is that um, if, when you feel frustration, when you feel um, worry about money, when you wake up in the middle of the night stressed out, all those kind of things, that's really your authenticity calling because you're not in alignment with who you are here to be on a soul level. And so there's this constant pull that we feel in the world that pulls us back to our authenticity. Um, the path to our authenticity, however, is is very difficult because there's not a curriculum, when I looked at least, that, that brought us there. So that's why I'm writing these books, etc. Because in school, we are not being taught how to be authentic. In our job, we're not being asked to be authentic. We just asked to function. So for us, it's it's like a valley of death that we have to walk through to to claim our authenticity because it's basically a lonely path. And when we leave our environment that we have, when we say, you know, this friendship really doesn't work anymore for me or this job doesn't really work any anymore for me, there is, of course, fear associated with that because there's a reason why we are living the way we are. And so it's a it's a challenging process where we need some support that guides us through this quote-unquote valley of death where we leave some of our uh, identity behind and return to our authenticity, who we are here to be on a soul level. Once we do that, we are back in the flow. We are literally in the flow. And when I talk about authentic success, maybe that as a last sentence here, the emphasis is not on success, it's on authenticity, on authentic. Because when we are authentic, life starts to flow for us and success becomes a consequence. It's nothing that we strive for. It just becomes part of our lives. I love that illustration of authenticity being something that we continually step into because in my experience, I've not known who I was until I got there and then I didn't know who I was again. <laughs> it, it creates exactly. this cycle, you yes. know, we, <laughs> we no, kind perfect. of discover who we are and then all of a sudden we're, I've got question marks hanging over our heads again in the air. 
Yes. But oftentimes what will happen, because I think, and, and you relate in the book very clearly, that authenticity equates very much to fulfillment. But because of this dominant subservience undercurrent that exists internally and externally, the first question that comes up for most people is, what about money? I need to make money. I've got to survive. I have a family to take care of. I have to pay the bills. And so there is this friction between uh, that part of us that keeps getting pulled to what is inauthentic and that part of us that yearns to be fully authentic. Yeah, and that's a good point you bring up money because it's it's one of the biggest things that keeps us in the existing success model because we continuously think scarcity of money, scarcity of money, I have to make money. And if I don't, then I'm going to die literally because I don't have any money. And the story evolves in our head for me. It's I'm going to be under the bridge. Nobody's going to like me. I'm going to be dying a lonely person. That's that's the little monkey mind that's in my mind that could happen. Um, but we have to realize that it's a story that's made up between our ears that we are living by. So if there's not enough money that we end up under the bridge is a story which can become true, but it's a story. And so um, what we find is that when we try to uh, maneuver by the story, when we use the model of dominant subservience to get ahead in life and keep the money in the bank, because that's really the scarcity thing around us, uh, that's our reality. If we can shift away from that reality and go to an abundance mindset, if we somehow get there, and that's what I talk about in the book as well, shift to a different success model and really come from our authenticity. In those moments where we are authentic, there's a complete sense of abundance. Uh, you can feel that when, when you're on a mountaintop and there's nothing that you need, or when you look into your child's eyes, or when you pet your cat, for example, there are moments where there's, there's no pretense, there's no pushing, shoving story, etc. attached to it, where you're just being present and you're authentic in the moment. And in those moments, there's no scarcity. And so can we trust, and this is a, a little difficult because we have to jump first and then we see that it actually works. It's that can we trust that when we're authentic, the success will actually flow and the money will actually follow. Maybe a couple you of examples. Powerful, if, go ahead. You have a powerful line in the book where you say, it's mm -hmm. exactly in those moments of uncertainty when we don't know how our future looks that we can create a new life order. Yes. You were going to share an example. Yeah, I mean, just um, for look at people like Oprah Winfrey or Richard Branson or people that you truly admire, which are in the flow. Um, what we can find is that these individuals don't do, or what, whatever they do, they do from a place of being, they do from a place of expressing their gift in the world. When you see Oprah Winfrey on stage, she's not doing, she's being present. She's being herself, and out of this being flows her magic to be able to interview, to dive deep, to have those conversations. And that exactly is what, what makes, her, makes her so successful and makes her also so wealthy. Um, imagine a show where she would do from a story, I need to convince these people, I need to get the best out of here because otherwise I won't make any money. The shows would be completely different. And you would feel that as an, as a, as an audience member that the shows would be completely different. Now, within the book, it's it's wonderful. You have some links that take individuals to uh, places where they can get to know themselves better. And one has to do with colors. It's the aura colors that surround us. And 
they really do depict kind of our expression um, and in a sense, in our essence that we are in the world. And then you also talk about magic, that we each have a specific magic that we are here to live and be and express. Can you talk a little bit about those tools and those types of uh, ways of shifting consciousness that support individuals in knowing better their more authentic nature? Yes, I'm basically sharing many of the things that really have worked for me that gave me a rocket boost. We can go to a psychologist and discover our authenticity. Maybe it takes 10 years. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to judge here. But for me, some of these experiences were just absolutely life-changing, especially when I sat in front of this individual 20 years back and he didn't know me. He sat me down in a chair, took a big smile, and then he said, so Peter, you're a violet yellow with some tan. And this is how you operate. This is how your world functions. This is what you create. This is what you're here to do. This is what you're here to be. This is your family. This is your wife. This is your parents. This is why they have a conflict. He saw my entire life, my entire surrounding, everything he saw in front of me like a, like a picture book. And I'm like, holy cow, what's happening here? He's able to see all of that, which I'm not able to grasp. And so that, that, that's a profound thing that happened to me because, first of all, um, it allowed me to be who he's, who he's told me. I'm, I'm basically my soul because he was able to look into my soul. He told me who I was and I was allowed to be that. So from that day onwards, I was pursuing that. Did it change the next day? No, but it allowed me to walk this path. So he gave me a glimpse into my authenticity, into my soul. And that is something, there's no undo button for that. It's a rocket boost. Yeah. And then if, if you go, so the second step was like, okay, now what I do with that? And I found this other lady, which has done this work about the magics. And she told me, Peter, you're an illumination magic. You're here to con to you understand human behavior. You're here to write. You're here to speak. You're here to convey to people. Um, how we tick as human beings and you create insights through that. And that's all you need to do. And I realized the more I did that, or also in my venture capital job, when I was speaking in conferences about certain things, people would always come up to me and say, oh, thank you for these insights. That was really helpful. So when I use my magic, work is not work for me anymore. I can do that at 11 o'clock when somebody calls me up and it's not work. So again, it comes from a place of being of just showing up with my magic and wanting to express it because it's it's so joyful for me to express it. And then whenever I do that, I'm in the flow. And you also speak about essence, that mm -hmm. we should choose a certain number of essence words. And does that relate to our fulfillment? Does that relate to our authenticity? Or does that help us connect more deeply to our soul? All of the above. <laughs> Essences is a really simple but very, very important concept if we want to create a more fulfilling life because uh, we have to realize that whatever we want to have in our life, whether it's $10 million in the bank or the beautiful house by the beach or this wonderful relationship that gives us the connection that we seek, it's not about those things. It's really about the feeling states that we experience when we have those things. So take the, the, the $10 million in the bank. It's not really the, the money that you want, but the feeling that the money would bring you, the ease, the peace of mind, the abundance, the sense of accomplishment. That's really what we are after. It's the feeling states that drive us. Our life is a feeling experience. It's not a doing experience. 
So when these essences, these feeling states that we all yearn for are, ex uh, are experienced, then life is beautiful. Then we rise in the morning with energy and say, oh my God, life is great. When they're not being fulfilled, then we can be super wealthy, then we can be the CEO of an organization, we can be miserable. Because what our life yearns for is to experience those essences. And for each one of us, we, each one of us has about 10 to 15 essences that are basically driving every single decision in our life, every single empowered decision. The people you spend time with, the job you take, the vacation that you take, the books that you read, etc. You have another really powerful line where you say, the gap between who you're here to be, your authentic personality, and your conditioned personality, out there in left field has a name. It's called pain. And so if we want to shift out of pain, tell us about this new model that you have, that's be, do, have. Yeah, so the, the big question is if this old model uh, to do more, to accumulate more stuff, to become somebody, if that's flawed, if it's not designed to make us happy, what's, what's an alternative model? And as easy as it sounds, the model that I suggest and has worked for me and many of our clients is, is the be, do, have model, to be authentically who we are here to be, to do what our unique gifts inspire and then to have what we really would like to experience in life. So the being state is to understand who we are here on a soul level, like that experience with that, with that psychic person several years ago who told me my colors. The, the doing part, what our gifts inspired, is our magic. So if our, we bring in our magic into the world that's effortless, then we experience, to experience or receive the feeling states that we want, which are the essences, the joy, the creativity, the ease. So just imagine for a moment if you could work in a, in a job. If your job was where you can be fully authentic, where you can show up, where you can be fully authentic, where you can do your soul's expression, basically. And from that point, you can, you can do what your gifts inspire. If you had a talent to bring it into the world and you do it over and over and it's not work for you, and it's being valued with money, then you could do that all day long, right? And then you would experience, you have joy, creativity, ease, abundance, freedom, all those kind of things that, that we are ultimately seeking in life. If you could create that in your life, would there be anything missing? I often tell people from my first book, Conversations in the Universe, you are not on a journey, you are the journey. And I've learned in my own life that we are comprised of many cycles and rhythms. So there may be some listeners out there saying, it's too late. I can't do that now. Uh, I'm too old. I'm too entrenched in my life. I've got too many people to take care of. But you talk about kind of a cyclical process that we go to, which does start as victim, but then allows this to kind of open up and unfold. Is it ever too late? to find our authentic self, our fulfillment, and to be of service in the greater world? No, it's never too late because I believe life continues and we recycle. <laughs> so we're on the soul's journey. So maybe you don't get to the point in this life, but maybe you, you get the next time around. But <laughs> if you look at this in this bigger perspective that really life continues and we can talk about that that too, why I, I believe that. Um, there's really no point that's too late if you consider, okay, maybe I've, I've suffered enough and maybe it's time to 
to try something different. And of course, it doesn't get easier. The more experience we have with pain, with suffering, um, depression, all those kind of things make a resignation, for example, the harder it is to get out of this cycle, but it is never too late. It is never too late. And as we're closing out the show, are there any other key points that you'd like to share in regard to your book, Plan B, or what you offer through the programs that you have at Conscious Business Institute? Yeah, um, I think the first message that I would like people to remind is that there is a different way. I see so many people that are looking for it and they're like, oh my God, I wish there was. And then 10 years pass and, and nothing changes. There is a different way to work and live. And um, you can pick up the book, you can find it in other ways that resonate with you. It doesn't matter, but to go on that path and trust that there's a different way, that the more we go deep into our authenticity, the more we 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 are on that path, on that authentic path. Um, the second thing that I would encourage people to do is that simple thing with the essences and just to sit down and say, what are really the things that drive me? And you can find out where you just look at certain things that you want in life and say, what are the key experiences that I want to have, the feeling states that I associate with that? And um, and start by that. And maybe it's freedom, maybe it's connection, maybe it's love, maybe it's peace of mind. And to create that bouquet of essences for you that really drives much of your life. And then to make decisions by that. It's not easy, but to start making decisions by that. Because when you do, those are authentic decisions. They're not fear-based. They're based on possibility of what you can create for your life. So those are two simple ones that, that you can take. Thank you, Peter. At the end of the book, he has several principles that can support you in moving into a more fulfilling life where you are happier and creating more deeply. And I'm going to give you just the first principle so that you pick up the book and get the rest. And the very first one is that we can only love another as deeply as we love ourselves. And that means doing the work. That means being present. That means allowing yourself to be radically honest to know that something needs to shift. As Peter says, as you develop your authentic voice, remember you're not selling anything. Instead, you're offering an alternative pathway to do or look at things, a new possibility that could be of value to the other person. In an organization, it could be expanding performance through building an inspiring culture. For an individual, it might be expanding their mindset and thereby creating healthier relationships with family. Once we discover the intersection of our purpose and the value it brings to others, we're on track to making a living through expressing of that purpose. We, when you're able to communicate that in a clear manner, people will want to follow you, hire you, or buy what you have to offer. I urge you to pick up a copy of Peter Matisse's book. It is Plan B, B-E, a, professional guide, a professional's guide to authentic success. You can find out more at planbe.live or consciousbusinessinstitute.com. I urge you to definitely go and do some of the quizzes and tests that you'll find in the book to join their community, perhaps start the online learning program or join the business master program and invite Peter to bring Plan BE principles to your organization. Thank you, Peter, for being on 1111 Talk Radio. Until next week, I am Simran, in love, of love, with love and as love. Be well. Thank you for opening your mind to a new reality. 
Your heart to greater compassion and your experience of aliveness with 1111 Talk Radio. Join host Zimron next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern Time to step through the gateway of conscious living here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember, you are not on the journey. You are the journey.